Welcome to the Zealous Podcast, and this week, Dr. Jay Lee is joining me. He's a physical therapist just on the outskirts of Boston in Needham, Massachusetts, at his location called Physio X, which I have the immense pleasure of offering workshops for continuing education. In fact, I'll be out there January 27th and 28th at Physio X, where we're going to be working on implementing foot wedges for improved performance, and especially for trainers, manual and movement therapists, join us there. But this is not about me. This episode is about Dr. J and the next generation of physical therapists. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Rocky underscore Snyder. Click the subscribe button. Enjoy the show. First, thanks for coming on the podcast. I I want to coin this as the the next and new generation of physical therapy. That's what I would like to have this be because I think that that you are one of those physical therapists that are truly in the next generation. And, and the wor- work that you're doing is not the traditional physical therapy in what most people think of. And, and well, first, Jay, how about you introducing yourself to the, the live audience and those listening to the podcast? Right. So my name is Jay. I'm a physical therapist and I'm the owner of uh, PhysioX. We're an out of network practice in um, Eden, Massachusetts, and we take on a nervous system based approach of which, which Rocky is very familiar with. And the way we see the body is everything is connected and it's really hard to separate the mental from the physical. And we find a way to really bridge that gap and give people a therapy that actually will last because we're making changes at the nervous system level. And we find that to really have the most impact in people's lives. So that's huge. And what I mean is that like the next generation is what you are, is that if we look historically at physical therapy, as I understand it, primarily came from treating war veterans and then evolved into more post-surgical care. So this is acute care and physical therapy developed a model, an approach, a, a protocol for every acute symptom and acute care environment or situation. And then over the course of time through say, let's say the last 30 or 40 years, there became other reasons for seeing physical therapists, such as orthopedic concerns, meaning, oh, my lower back, it's just nothing happened to it. I didn't necessarily have surgery or anything, but it just started bothering me or my shoulder or my knee or my hip, just pick a joint. And a lot of times your doctor will say, oh, well, let's go and and send you to physical therapy. So then the traditional approach that had been developed back when is now trying to be applied to a chronic pain situation or scenario. And it's a completely different sort of of problem solving. So instead of and here's the thing, when, when I have a physical therapist, I have clients come in and they bring me physical therapy sheets that they were given. Usually it's something pulled out of somebody's filing cabinet and underneath the file folder, it says uh, on the tab, um, plantar fasciitis. And they go through the sheet and they start circling these different exercises and they give it to their patient and say, here you go. These are your plantar fasciitis exercises, or these are your rotator cuff exercises. And they start doing them and maybe it feels a little bit better, but it doesn't really get to the root of the issues. You walk in the door 
or they walk in your physio X physical therapy facility there in Needham, and it's a completely different scenario. I guess I want you to kind of take the conversation from there. And, and you know where I'm going. It's like you deal with a lot of chronic issues, but it's not necessarily X marks the spot, right? Oh, absolutely. So I love how you kind of separate it into a, an acute pain versus chronic pain and how the profession have taken the protocol that was useful for an acute injury and try to apply it to something that's chronic. And that application just doesn't make any sense because there are patterns that have developed that needs to be overcome and corrected for chronic issues to disappear. So when people come through our doors, it's usually not like last week they heard something. They usually see a, you know, acute care, physical therapy, you know, they get that taken care of. But usually two, three years down the line and they said, hey, I have this back thing that came out of nowhere. I didn't hurt my back or anything. So what we end up doing is discussing a conversation about, all right, what are some past histories of injuries that you have incurred in the past? Like, oh, I had this ankle injury. I had this knee injury like five years ago, three years ago. And then last week I did this little thing and then I didn't feel anything, but over a couple of days, my back started to hurt. So now understanding this history, we can start to draw connections to how all of these things are related just from a nervous system standpoint. Because okay, how about yeah. give me a scenario? Actually, give me a scenario when because the for the listening audience, they're going, uh, yeah, yeah. what is that? What does that matter? I mean, how to connect the dots for us? Like for somebody coming in with low back symptoms, and you ask them about their their history, well, give give us like a anecdotal evidence there. Right. So let's say someone comes in and they have a back injury, and we got to discussing, and they say, oh yeah, I have this major foot injury that I incurred 10 years ago and I did some rehab I felt good and then I and then I fell on my left hip a couple of years after that well what happened during that initial injury when you when you injure your ankle your body's going to find a way to survive and hold you upright so it might walk in a way that's going to be a little bit different than what you're used to a little bit of a limp you would say but even as that limb recovered you might still hold on to a shadow of that and that's a word I've taken from you in the past and that limp can stay with you. So maybe you're walking, but you're not placing the way evenly left and right side. So your nerve system is very smart. So they kind of have this conversation with all the joints and, and said, hey, look, the ankles hurt and we still need to move. So here's what we're going to do. Hips, I want you to kind of maybe shift your weight over a little bit. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I can do that. But now we're, okay, it doesn't look right. I want, you know, your head to come over back this way. And I want the rib cage to come back this way. So they go like that. So we have this kind of like spiraling effect up the chain and they will hold that position because it works. Why not? You get from point A to point B, you can walk and survive. And then you go into the gym, you do some squats and then you will squat in this kind of crooked type position. Now you're loading a little bit more pressure into other joints that you're not even aware of. So later on, let's say this meeting happens again and the nerve system go, okay, well, the hip is in trouble. What can we do? There's a, and oh, all right, well, the, back. Can you do something? Yeah, I can kind of twist myself a little bit to give some relief to the hip. And then now today they come in and they have a back injury that they're trying to get uh, a sense of what's going on. And if we just look at the back and fix the back and make those muscles work the way you should, well, we're not changing the true root cause because we might have to go back to the hip and go back to the ankle and change the course of action that has to carry its way through for this back to find some relief. So that is kind of how we like to look at an issue 
and really make sense of how an, in, how an injury history really plays an important role in the treatment process. Beautiful, beautifully said. Yeah, what happened before that happened? It's not like somebody that comes in with some rotator cuff issue, the, those four muscles that make up the rotator cuff just woke up one day and said, <laughs> I got this great practical joke. We're gonna play on the body. We're going to just start aching for no reason whatsoever. It, there's always a cause and effect. So um, uh, let's take that for an example, Jay. Okay, rotator cuff. The, the, the traditional physical therapy approach, which I think everybody probably is listening, will think of a rubber band held in one arm with the arm and elbow tucked against the rib cage and the fist pulling outward from the midline of the body, or with the arm pulled out, abducted, if you will, and the elbow up at shoulder height and doing these little dumbbell exercises and so on. And how effective, or is that the approach that you would commonly take with rotator cuff exercises? I mean, with rotator cuff symptoms. Right, so it's funny you say that because I don't think I've used a rotator cuff exercise like that in years. Why? <laughs> well, so the whole system really works together. If I touch my screen, the force has to transfer from the fingertips to the wrist, to the forearm, to the biceps, to the triceps, to the shoulders, and then they'll hit the rotator cuff at the very end. So it really is like the last resort type of area that will help give you stability and strength. So in a lot of cases for us, we found the biceps and triceps to play a major role in what's happening in the shoulder. And we fix a lot of rotator cuff, rotator cuff issues strictly from targeting muscles in the biceps or triceps. Because we just need to figure out where that leak is happening from. I mean, neurologically, we we touch something, and that's when the fourth equation starts. It doesn't start from from right here, and I think that's an important point that most people end up missing and end up being very surprised about when they come and see us because we don't. Beautiful. I love it. It's not that those aren't bad exercises. There's no such oh. thing as a bad exercise. There may be a time where you actually want that specific movement to occur, but it's it, it's become the standard, I will use old school, physical therapy approach. And unfortunately, uh, just recently, I understand, like Massachusetts state in which you reside, only recently in the last few years, I think the last three or four years, has continuing education been a requirement to maintain your, your credentials. Is that true? Yeah, that is true. And I have some kind of different opinions about that. Oh, let's go. Tell me about it. What, what the, the pros and cons? Well, the pr pros, of course, I think everyone should do some kind of continued education to hold their license. If not for the requirement, at least ethically, you should continue to learn new things as it comes out. Uh, the cons is just specific to us is that a lot of things that we try to learn doesn't credit us for these, for these credits. So yeah. for example, like the excellent courses that you provide that you've had over here, we take those and I think it's hugely valuable, changes the game for many of the practitioners. I think everyone should go and take a Rocky Snyder course. We don't get continued education points for those, right? Yeah. And a lot of the courses that I love to take and offer my um, employees, they, these people are from the UK or outside the States and they don't provide continued education. But 
the resources is immensely valuable. So it's, so we're limited to what we can take. If you know understood, I mean. completely understood. And, and until the process of getting um, accepted as a continuing education provider for physical therapists uh, is, is easier to achieve, then that's probably gonna be the case because every state is self-regulated and Massachusetts will be independent of California, Texas, and whatnot. Everyone, every state's going to have their own way of, of either requiring or not requiring. And for, for not requiring practitioners of science to continually educate themselves, I could see the path of least resistance for many professionals going, ah, no, I learned enough in, in college. I learned enough with what I'm doing on a daily basis. I don't need to have anybody come in and, and learn, which is a scary prospect. Um, so very just a yeah it's it's just an interesting scenario so give the listening audience a, a little bit more idea of physio x and first of all why physio x where did you get that name from and then 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 give us the rundown of your of your operations all right well uh, i guess i'll take you guys back um so the business started in 2020 it's the best of times that's the, the perfect time to start a business don't you think Absolutely. And a lot of it really, the training really came out of uh, helping my own mother with her chronic pain symptoms. I graduated from school and, you know, I learned what I learned in school, passed the board exam, take the continued education courses that everyone really started off taking uh, some McKinsey's things for the back pain. And I applied all the knowledge that I can for my mother and it just all fell flat. And I'm scratching my head. I said, well, that doesn't make sense because I did everything by the books. So there must be something missing that I'm not seeing. So I reached out to different experts from different fields, ways, the experts that looks at things differently. Gary Ward being a huge influential person of my life, just understanding how all the joints is connected through the whole body and how the nervous system works. And through that journey of trying to help my mother, I actually gotten closer with her in a strange way because I get to understand where that pain is really originating from. You know, she's an immigrant mother and she worked in a factory, doesn't speak a word of English and turns to find out that she was being berated at work all the time to work faster. And she had no way to really express her emotions. So it become all repressed inside. And imagine the type of tension this person would have to endure to just survive. That nervous system have to go into this massive protective mode. And through that, I've built a better connection and I've finally understand what's going on and we are able to implement more simple exercises simply like maybe just breathing or feeling her body again and that's when we start to make some progress and that's like wow this stuff is powerful and then i went into an online practice and all i did was just create content push out to the audience and tell them about the discoveries that i've made how the foot affects the body, how the breathing affects the body, how your nervous system has to be under control for these chronic pain symptoms to really start to, to change. And I think a lot of people start to resonate with that message. And I started getting clients from uh, Alaska, uh, New Zealand, just all over the globe, and which is a very interesting uh, place to be in where I'm like, wow, we speak a universal language just because you're all the way to the other side, you're still human and you're going to react the same way as someone all the way over here. And these methods that I, that I introduced is going to work for this person. So we did it on Zoom. 
And what we did was look at the movements. I said, hey, reach down, touch your toes, go this way, go that way. Tell me about your stress. Tell me about your life. And from there, we kind of understand, all right, what's moving well, what's not moving well, and what about your life is creating this massive overload in the nervous system? And what are the strategies we can do to take away some of these old patterns and build new ones? And when we can do that, people start to have these miraculous results over the course of six, 12 weeks. And that is what PhysioX was. And why I chose the name PhysioX? Well, a lot of the, uh, the people I learned from are outside of the U.S. and they call themselves physiotherapists. And we call ourselves physical therapists. Yeah. It's the same profession, but I think to pay homage to the people that I learned from, I named my company uh, after physio. And the X is more like a bridge. Um, it's, the future, it's the plan for the future. Let's say, I think physios are you know, the top movement experts. I am perfectly biased to that, right? So if physios want to get into running, they might cross to physio X run or physio X yoga. And that's something I think about in the future. And it's not coming to fruition anytime soon because we just want to be good at our own craft at the moment. So that is uh, the origin of physio X. <laughs> and then when we designed the, the logo piece of it, I'm not sure you can see, you, you have one of these. I think I gave you one of these purple. Yes, yes. Hard to see, but inside the X, we have embedded a Chinese character actually. And it's the Chinese character stands for human because what we want to express is that underneath all the distractions, the, the other logos, under, the, the society differences, the cultural difference, all of that, take all that out. We are left with a human in front of us and we are all experiencing the human experience. And we share that in common. And I think that is something that's missing in a lot of physical therapy clinic is that we're seeing a diagnosis, but we're not seeing the human for what this person is. So <sighs> that's kind of the origin story of the logo, how it all started. And then eventually we built a place to kind of honor the same motif that we started. I love it. You gave me just a, a huge table of content from which we're going to start to pick apart right now. Uh, first of all, body language is a term we commonly use, but I don't think we really truly understand that, that term, that the body does provide a language in how it stands, our posture, right? Everyone has a certain way in which they fight gravity and hold themselves. And a lot of it is fed through an emotional level of, of existence. I won't say health or sickness or anything, but wherever you are on that spectrum of emotional wellness, it is embedded into our physical frame. So that we can't separate those. And here again is a great example of the next generation of physical therapy, where you're recognizing the fact that the mental emotional state of an individual could very well carry over into their physical world. The New England Journal of Medicine, I think it's been now 15 or even 20 years ago, finally came out in one of the publications in their journal at showing that there is a direct correlation with cardiac issues and their, a, a person's emotional state. The word heartbroken is not just an, a, um, a descriptive or ethereal explanation. It actually could be a physical manifestation when somebody is feeling really in that situation and how it affects their cardiovascular system. That's just one little example. So I love that you look at or you inquire, you investigate, you ask 
uh, you interview the person and interview the body kind of simultaneously, which is a wonderful combination because in, the re in regards to your mom, maybe some physical activity and exercises would help, but without addressing her work environment, her mental situation, her ability to handle her daily life in a more uh, resilient fashion, she may find those symptoms just keep manifesting and maybe in different areas of the body until that mental state is, is addressed. Am I right on with that? Yeah, right on. I mean, we see this all the time with our current clients who go on vacation and everything feels great. You know, I'm walking on the beach, they come back and it's, oh man, it must be the flight. The flight messed me up. Or is just the expectation of going back to a, a life in a work environment that is hugely stressful and just the body just kind of mentally just grasping for survival leading up to that point. So yeah, there, there's a lot to it. And there's, you look at someone and you, you, you can tell when someone's anxious walking around. You can tell when someone's happy when they're walking around. There's a different energy that you feel within that. And of course, the physical environment plays a, a major role. And that's also something that we pay close attention to when building out the place. So, and so you, you've been inside our, our place. So the, the lights that we use, the furniture that we chose, the way that we put the furniture is all intentional in a way to help bring that nervous system down to a collective level. Because if we're doing all of this online and we're going to in-person, now we have more things that we can use to foster that nervous system effect. And using the environment is, is perfect for it. Wow. Uh, you know, now that you mentioned that, I, it, I definitely had a, a calming sensation when walking into your facility, but it wasn't something that I was recognizing at the time. It was just a very nice, warm, welcoming place. But how that just uh, allowed me to be at ease, which I can only imagine most of your patients when they walk in there. Now, with your, with your patients, uh, are, is there a lot of chronic issues or are we dealing with a blend of chronic and acute? I mean, where, where do your patients more or less reside? And I don't mean geographically, but how they walk in the door. Yeah, usually we get a lot more chronic type issues, issues where they've seen multiple providers, uh, gotten short-term relief and never anything that's longstanding. And we get some acute, but we never get something to happen like yesterday or two days ago, maybe something that happened three months ago and they recovered, but not to the point that they need to, to go back into doing more active things like running or, or strength training. Because before I was a physical therapist, I was actually a personal trainer. So I have this training background that I bring into the practice at the same time. So I would say majority of people come in with more chronic type issues, but we do some, we do see some acute type issues as well. Cool. Okay. So we've thrown a traditional physical therapy under the bus. Why not be equal opportunity uh, right here with, with strength training? And because there's, I would say, old school strength training. And I don't mean back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, because that stuff was amazing. I'm talking about maybe from the 70s to 2000. So that being old school in a way, I'm um, you know, much of it is based on competitions. It would be like uh, basing all of your exercises in a gym on a hockey player's needs or a 
pole vaulters needs. And for that matter, we'll take a, maybe a shot putters. And, but instead, how we selected it in the gyms historically was powerlifting competitions, bodybuilding competitions, and Olympic weightlifting competitions. Those three make up the majority of lifts in a gym, which none of which, by the way, uh, well, you could argue bodybuilding, really focus on bringing the body into a more balanced, centrated place where it functions at its optimal level. Uh, instead, bodybuilding was more about aesthetics. And yes, you're trying to create visual symmetry within the muscular frame, uh, you did it in such a way where you're only focusing on primarily large muscle groups and not how force transfers through the body. So creating actually imbalances between large and small muscle groups. Um, powerlifting was just how much can, how much force can I produce and lift something off the ground, whether it's a barbell or whatever. And then Olympic lifting, very, very much the same thing, but more in an explosive, powerful manner. How much can I hurl off the ground and catch with my arms? So I guess I bring that around because Strength training as we know it has this propensity to draw us out of alignment, further away from optimal performance based on the typical programs that we were told to design, much like the protocol of acute care and trying to apply it to chronic. We're in a world where we don't have to move as much in order to survive. The average client that's or patient that's walking in your door is historic is going to be less structurally sound with every advancing year as we go into our future here. If nothing changes in terms of labor saving devices, if it continues on, we're going to find more of your patients complaining of chronic issues because the body isn't meant to move as much. So with strength training, how do you apply your methodology, your philosophy and approach in the gym. We've already talked a little bit about the physical therapy world, but you've got a, a sweet strength training facility in there. How do you select or how do you, how do you approach that? I love what you said about how you're differentiating the powerlifting to the bodybuilding and all the different styles. I find a powerlifting style to be very prevalent in modern uh, lifting. And one of the things I love to tell people is the, the cues and the things that you do in the gym are usually not a good semblance of what your body should do in real life and functional movement. Like we shouldn't push our knees out when we squat all the time. We should allow them to come in because naturally they should start to come in. So for a lot of the clients who come and see us and go back into exercises, we actually have to retrain a lot of the patterns that they have developed through different cues that they might have been given inside a gym. Knees out, you know, press through the heels, you know, all of, the, all of these different things. Put your shoulder blades back down, back and down, and then press. Well, all these are good for the sport of powerlifting, but in real life, we need that shoulder blade to wrap around our body. We need our knees to come in. So the way we try to kind of bridge the gap between the performance side and the, the training side is, how can we pick exercises that's going to develop what we need neurologically from the rehab side, but also give them the strength portion of it as well. So some examples that we do is maybe using some wedges underneath someone's heels to change the center of mass so they can feel a more balanced structure when they move into the squat and they have a more balanced um, use of all the muscles surrounding that area. 
or we can have them do a lunge in which one foot is tilted one way versus the other foot is tilted a different way just to create that balance that's missing in a normal training environment. Now they can still get the benefit of working out, but they're also doing something good to put themselves back into center and having them feel better at the same time. So we don't have to necessarily choose between, or right, you have to stop training, just do the rehab or train, but you're gonna mess up your rehab. We try to find a way to harmonize the two together in that way, just from like doing different modifications. I love it. Yeah. And uh, I think we're on the same path there trying to interweave both so that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, strength training for the most part is a very beneficial and positive outcome physiologically on the body and mentally for that matter. I mean, it's, it's great. However, there are movements that may not be appropriate for you at this very moment in your life based on how your body is choosing to move, like you've explained earlier, how the brain is trying to negotiate with all these joints in the body because of a previous event that you, you experienced, whether it was surgery or an injury or, or whatnot, even a, a mental, emotional issue that is now encapsulated into your physical frame. So uh, yeah, I, that's, again, we come back to, there's no such thing as a bad exercise, but is it the appropriate one for you? Right. So one, one thing I like to add about that is for a moment, I designed a anti-powerlifting routine. Really? <laughs> Tell because, me more. Well, because a lot of trainers that, I, that we see, they, a lot of them do a powerlifting style routine with a lot of back squatting, a lot of deadlifting, a lot of bench press type of deal. And they all manifest same patterns, shoulder blades back and down ribcage up. So, all right, let's give you the exact opposite of these patterns, but still work those same muscles. So a Zercher squat is something I really love to give for people. Oh yeah. Instead yeah. of having shoulder blades back and down, now the shoulder blades coming around and the ribs coming down. So it's reinforcing the complete opposite adaptations that these person have taken through from years of powerlifting. And they do some of these or front load in a lot of different uh, split squats. And what we find is that just by changing the type of exercise they do or adding it on to the routine, they find massive relief in just upper back tension, rotator cuff uh, issues, just from simply doing that. So it is- Okay, what's the anti-bench press? The anti-push-ups, push-up variations, shoulder blades oh. kind of- well, Arms internally rotated? Not maybe we like to keep it somewhere in a neutral position okay um i mean you think about a bench press it's shoulder blades back and down chest up how do we create a situation in which we go the direct opposite and let the shoulder blade move freely bench pressing is huge um having a cable press huge now the shoulder blades can wrap around we get that nice protraction even as far as going upward this way or even machines a machine in which your back is here and you can push and protract and you don't have to worry about the stability. I think machines kind of making a comeback and I'm, I'm all for that as well. That's a whole different Very, tangent. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, you opened up the can. Let's, let's look to see what's inside. Uh, so machines have a place definitely. And they were, uh, they were just thrown out in many people's minds. Uh, especially in the late 90s when we started to coin functional fitness 
and found that, you know, well, most of the machines people are sitting in and I, and, and we think they sit too much as it is, but, but there is a place for them. What place do they have in your world? I think it has a place for when people are doing a lot of, well, they're not ready for more functional movements or they haven't really gotten the pattern down at the moment. They can use machines as an interim or just use it as a nice way to really get extra burn and calorie burn from the muscle without posing additional threat to the nervous system. Because some machines, you can practically close your eyes and do it. And there's a time and place for that. Maybe you don't have, you don't want to spend so much time, energy into perfecting your form because you're tired at the end of the day, but you still want movement. Doing it on a machine is better than not doing it at all. Yeah, I think I, I see you also just just at the the threshold of talking about the the mental emotional component there too. The machines have a way of allowing people to achieve movement but in a safe fashion where they're not mentally stressed necessarily, physically stressed maybe, but they're achieving something in a successful manner. And if we breed success with different small steps that people do, then they gain more confidence, they gain more, oh, well, resiliency, but, the, but a better sense of mental balance. So I, that's where I see machines coming into play is for those people that need a little bit more, well, for lack of a better term, emotional support a little bit more mental fortitude I am, mm -hmm. and then graduating them on to more complexities and more, more challenging environments with whether free weights or body weight and getting them to feel like, okay, I can do this. It, it, it changes their, their posture, their mindset and, and their energy level. It's amazing. So yeah, I agree. There's a, there's a place for machines for sure. But if, if all you're doing is machines yeah. and that's what you've been doing for years, well, we've got to have a different conversation. Absolutely. If you are someone who never do biceps, always power lift, going on to a simple preacher curl, excellent work. You get in there, shoulder blades are spread apart, protracted, and then ribs are down. And then you're working the biceps and you're breathing, you're expanding into the ribs. Excellent, excellent thing to counteract a lot of the overuse in certain movement patterns, such as powerlifting. So preacher curl is one of my, one of my go-to exercises as far as machines. And what about those that have the rounding shoulders and the protraction, abduction, elevation of their scap, and they have this tendency to be there? Would you drive them deeper into it by use of a, a preacher curl to try and draw them out? Or do you typically kind of stay away from that? And I know that everyone's going to be different and it depends upon the individual, but in general, because that's what we're talking about right now. Right. I would say yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would say yeah. yes. Because they are comfortable. The body feels very safe in that position. And when I think about someone with a posture who's very much like this, I'm not just thinking about the joint, I'm thinking about the rib cage. For this joint to come back here, we need the rib cage to expand in the front over here. Now, if we put someone's arm like this, where they belong and they curl and they're breathing and they can expand this part of the ribs, doing this may actually be productive in getting the posture back to a more center position. What will be unproductive is have someone who is very much like this and forcing them to open up when they do not have the capacity to do it. So what they do instead when they try to open up is that they will just compensate even more, maybe crank into other parts of the body to try to get that. 
So I love to kind of meet everyone where they are, utilize the current posture and find other strategies like the way we breathe during an exercise or utilize other type of exercise to break through that. I think when it comes to posture, everyone thinks if I'm like this, I need to force myself back here. Well, we can't just do that because when you do this, other parts need to move as well. So now we have to take a look at the rest of the chain. Beautiful. Now, I, and I know that you're, you're going to nod your head and because this is what you do is every movement is a means of assessing and a means of uh, potentially changing. So uh, what you would do in this regard, I guess, with the preacher curl is you're going to assess a person, you're going to put them into a preacher curl, and then you're going to reassess. Did that get them to a place where I was hoping they would be heading toward? Did it do nothing or did it actually exacerbate the issue? So it's not that it has to be a perfect equation and you have to be, I won't say guessing, you have to be selecting exercises and be 100% uh, correct every single time. It's not that at all because the body has a way of, of taking something and either incorporating it, finding that it's positive or the opposite saying, no, this is not what I need. And as a practitioner, as a physical therapist, as a strength coach myself or whatever, um, it's, I won't say it's a guessing game. There is an educational kind of thought pattern and that we follow. So it's, it's not just a wild guess, but it's an educated uh, a guess that, okay, let's, let's put this into the equation and let's just see what happens, right? That's, that's basically what you're doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, the tests and retest thing is the thing that we do often because it helps us guide whether what we're, what we're using is actually going to work or not. Because the, the, the last thing I want to do is, hey, we're going to do this, and we try it for a month, and then we'll see what happens. If it is the right stimulus, the nervous system would tell us almost instantaneously. So for example, for preacher curl, if I have someone who's having a lot of trouble reaching behind their back and they can't do it, well, I'm predicting, well, maybe the reason they can't do it because they are very close up over here. So we're going to use a preacher curl and we'll have them do this and we'll have them think about taking some deep breaths as they're doing it. They would do eight, 10 reps and then we will recheck that movement again and we'll just see what happened. And they might tell us, oh, my, I'm reaching further. Well, how does that make any sense? Well, I'm like, well, I'll explain it. And they go, oh, that was worse. I'm like, okay, that completely went against what I thought was gonna happen. So let's kind of turn another route and see what else we can do. So we will no longer do that preacher curl because I tell everyone and say, look, this is, it, it is a guessing game, but we're making educated guess, guesses based on how you're currently presenting. And we want to find a way to kind of prove ourselves right or prove ourselves wrong. And based on that data, we kind of know which direction we should start to dive into. I love that you say that. It just reinforces my, my own thoughts and, and how I approach a lot of things. And it's the assess, move, reassess kind of thing. And then just uh, there's times where we're just surprised going, okay, that was not what I was expecting. Uh, all right, so let's see if we can't do the opposite. You know what I'm intrigued by though, Jay, is that you're bringing up uh, arms and you're talking about the shoulders, which I understand. I mean, if we look at bicep, tricep, uh, origin insertion and all that, we'll find that of course it, it moves the shoulder. Uh, you've mentioned it with the rotator cuff, and now we've been talking about preacher curls, which I honestly 
I, if you were to ask me before we had this conversation, what exercise are we going to circle around in, in this particular conversation? It was not like Preacher Girls was going to be dead last, if anything else. But what the heck? Let's go with it. I'm just intrigued by your focus with the biceps and triceps. So like we, we talked about the biceps a little bit, obviously. What, what about triceps? Like when do you... When do you look at that? When do you engage it? Are we, and I know it's not a symptom-based kind of approach that you're taking, obviously, but at what point do you go, I think they need a little bit more engagement in the triceps. We just need to stimulate that. Triceps, that's even bigger than biceps. As far as from a rehab perspective, there's a lot of issues that can be overcome by working on triceps, essentially. It is the pushing part of the, of the arm. And most people are very weak in the way they can push something. They might end up using a lot of neck to end up pushing. So what we end up doing for even for neck issues, a lot of time we trace that issue back to a very uh, not so stellar tricep or bicep. So I, I would say the tricep is a, is a pretty big deal for a lot of shoulders, biceps and triceps. And I've seen rotator cuff as see more to be less and less of a big deal that is so awesome because for me i go down i don't go out the arm in my mind but now i'm going to because of you so thank you for that gift i usually go toward the torso and down to the hips like rotator cuff should decelerate with rotation but so should the lats so should that thoracolumbar fascia at the lower back and and across to the contralateral glute and hamstring so typically i'm going to look down there to see if those big muscles are not willing to be pliable to lengthen to decelerate and it's asking the rotator cuff to do more but now i've got enough i've got the other end of the sausage link here that i'm going to start working my way up to Okay, so just, but keeping on the tricep for just a moment here, what are your kind of go-to movements? You said you got preacher curls. So am I understanding you're going to do some like tricep extension machine or something with a preacher bench? Or what that, do you do? That can be a possibility. We like doing like a decline tricep extension in which they hold on to the arms like this, protract the shoulder blades and then do some triceps. Or they might change the angle of that elbow and do triceps, but making sure that we're not rotating out so we can create some effect in the shoulder blade so in some ways working the tricep is a it's an indirect way to affect the rib cage and the core so and then once you thing. isolate do you integrate like do you once you've kind of activated shall we say for lack of a better term once you've innervated the the stimulation into that tricep it's 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 been engaged through that isolated action do, do you do something more complex so that it starts to play with the friends in the playground? Absolutely. Some very simple thing that we do is actually putting someone's hand on the wall into the wall like this. And maybe we'll just have them take pressure off the heel of the palm and exert pressure through the knuckles and fingertips. And now we're asking the nervous system to engage the forearm with the tricep, with the traps, with the lats, with all of that. And you'd be very surprised. Well, I'm surprised how we got him. So I'm not surprised how everyone else is. So when they go into that motion and they're just exerting force through here, they're shaking immensely. And from there, that's how kind of how we integrate it. So someone who has trouble kind of pushing doors, any kind of pen, pen type movement, we're looking at 
what is the ratio of work that's being done from the hand all the way to the shoulder and the neck? So I, honestly, I love that. Yeah, in an ideal situation, we want 25% from the forearm, 25% from the biceps, triceps, 25% from shoulders, 25% from here. But you can imagine they all have to add up to 100%. Now, if we don't have proper innervation through these guys, well, maybe this has to work up to 60%, and these got to work up to 40%. So the ratio of work is starting to look different. But if we can balance out that ratio, now everything can work in a much more systematized fashion. And a lot of times the pain starts going away and people are very surprised. Oh, you worked on my forearms, but why did my neck stop hurting? Well, you think about if you have really weak forearms and you're a dentist and you have to do this, instead of using the forearms, maybe you're overworking the bicep, maybe you're using the neck to do a lot of the work. And this can go all the way down to the low back. If you're at a tub and you need to wash the tub instead of the forearms doing the circular motion and exerting into the tub, washing it, maybe you're using your spine to move and scrub, and scrub the, uh, the tub. Yeah. So we find this to be such an important tool because we, uh, the more, you know, back then we used to be more about the, the proximal stability equals distal um, mobility. I think that's a very common thing we hear. Yeah, but I found a lot of distal stability leads to more proximal mobility. So almost worked the opposite direction as well. It's Dude, I love that. I love that. I and you know what? I also I'm just thinking about that that pressing off the wall with just the fingers or the the ball of the hand, not the heel, of the palm. And in my mind, I'm going, oh, that's brilliant because you're placing the wrist in extension which is a not very typical place most people find. We're typically in flexion with the steering wheel, with uh, the typewriter, or the, the laptop, with the cell phones. And, and so we're placing it in extension and then we're loading eccentrically into this tissue compared to trying to concentrically contract into this position. So you're providing a, a different sensation to the muscles that they probably aren't familiar with just because of the way in which we lead our lives. So that in itself is just going to wake up so much tissue, so much nerve, so much of the nervous system that automatically you're, you're going, okay, how the heck do I do this? And I can just envision shakiness because of the learning process that the brain is trying to go through from a neuromuscular standpoint. That's, that's awesome. I love that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the hand is pretty much like the foot. We can dive into that. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. Actually, I throw wedges when people are in a plank or push-up like position. I actually wedge the hands and it just like you would wedge feet. And what a difference that makes in terms of shoulder strength, function, uh, neck and spine, I will say stability and mobility for that matter, just function. It's, it's awesome. Wow. I, I can't believe we're we're practically at an hour now. We've been just chatting up a storm. I'm I am really looking forward to coming back to Needham at the end of January, where we can geek out on exercises, how to use those wedges, and and to to your client, patient, or athlete's benefit, and and what movements are probably going to be best serving an individual compared to just the traditional program design that we have been taught in our textbooks. So yeah, I can't wait for that. 
Um, what's what's on the what's on the agenda for you in the next couple of months here? Oh, I don't know. We have Thanksgiving and then we have Christmas, and I think that's pretty much what's left on my mind. We have <laughs> a uh, we started a posture masterclass that that's been doing pretty well, and it's a way to teach people how to actually change posture from a nervous system perspective. Things doing things like breathing, feeling the floor in a different way, using a lot of the techniques that you showed us in the last workshop. And just gearing up for, for you to come back in uh, late January. And uh, we're doing two days this time, which I'm very excited about because one day was not enough. I think that's what the feedback that we got from our previous participants is like, I think we need a little bit more. And I was like, yeah. okay, we're going to give them a little bit more. Um, and I, I'm very excited because this time we're doing how to utilize these wedges in a strength and conditioning and exercise selection pattern. So people like trainers can come in learn these skills, apply it, and see massive changes in the way their clients feel, the way they, the way they move, how, how well they glide, and maybe even take away some discomfort while also giving them a training effect. And I think this level of expertise can definitely elevate trainers, physical therapists to a whole different level. And, and thank you for even obliging to coming over and doing that for us. And it's actually my honor, and I can't wait. Well, it, it's a two-way street there, Jay. I, I, I love it. And I, I just am grateful that you'd open up the doors and and for two days, which is going to be fantastic because then we can really, uh, yeah, last last time in September when I came for a day, we packed a lot in one day and probably overfed everybody and they walked out mentally stuffed and, and ready to just probably regurgitate uh, most of it on the on the parking lot surface but this time two days we can kind of really explore take our time and really pick it apart and i think it's going to be a, a really fun adventure so yeah this has been great uh thank you and and thank you from so many levels i really appreciate your time your friendship and and your insight i am going to go and do a few little finger push-ups on the on the the wall here and uh i will I'll, I'll i'll explore some preacher curls too and see how that feels for me i i can't believe i'm saying those things because i'm just uh it wasn't what i was expecting and i love being surprised so thank you thank you for all of it absolutely thank you so much for everything that you do putting out the content and just putting your knowledge out there super valuable and i think the world really really needs it and i hope everyone comes to the class Man, an hour sure flies by fast. I just want to thank Jay for coming on and, and giving us a little insight as to how he works with his patients and clients. And if you're interested in the work that I'm doing with closed chain biomechanics, implementing small wedges under the feet for better kinematic sequencing through the body, come on and visit us at his place at Physio X, January 27th to 28th in Needham, Mass. Or if you're on the West Coast, I'll be doing it at my facility, February 3rd and 4th. You can just go to rockysnyder.com for more information. And if you happen to be in the Arizona area this coming December 9th, uh, just join me at the NSCA Arizona State Clinic. It'll be at Chandler Gilbert Community College, and that's sure to be a fun time, as well as the end of February, I'll be in Chicago at the American College of Sports Medicine's Health Summit. So that'll be at the Hilton in Chicago. Maybe you can join me there, too. We'll hope to see you next week, and go out there and make it a great day.